Welcome to the Ellis Martin Report. During this broadcast, you will learn of potential investment opportunities involving publicly traded companies. These companies have paid us for exposure on this program. We ask that before you consider any possible investment choice, do your own research. You can begin the research process by visiting our website, ellismartinreport.com. Remember, if you do invest in any publicly traded concern, you do so at your own risk. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Michael Schlumberger, the CEO and Managing Director of American Pacific Borate and Lithium, trading on the Australian Stock Exchange or the ASX as ABR. American Pacific plans on producing borate and lithium from their Fort Katy project in California's Mojave Desert for both existing and new high-end technologies that need these rare materials. Mr. Slumberger is a qualified mining engineer with over 30 years experience in industrial minerals. His background includes management operations and maintenance in all aspects of mining, processing, reclamation, and permitting. He has held senior roles with Potash Corporation of Saskatchewan, Passport Potash, and Highfield Resources working in the United States, Canada, and Europe. Mike, welcome to the program. Mike, welcome back to the program. Good day. It's good to be here today. You have an exciting news release just out. You've added two Nevada projects. So we are very excited to announce that we have just signed an agreement to acquire 100% interest in two borate and lithium exploration projects in Nevada. These projects are Salt Wells North and Salt Wells South projects. They're in Churchill County in Nevada, which is about 15 miles outside of the town of Fallon. Fallon's about 8,500 people, and it's only a few hundred miles from our head office here in Apple Valley. So we're very excited about these. The one Salt Wells North is about 170 claims. The South Project is 105 claims, like I say, just outside of Fallon in Churchill County. The good news is that there has been a level of historic borate production at the Salt Wells North Project, and basically we have hits of high lithium and hits of high boron in the surface salts. So what we will be working to do over the next period of time is come in and do some further exploration, look at these and drill out part of the projects to evaluate the potential for the project. But this is very much in keeping with our desire to become a major producer of borates. How do these projects in Nevada compare with Fort Katy in California, which I visited several months ago? While they're both borate and lithium potential projects, the Fort Katy project has had $50 million already spent on it. So Fort Katy is a much more advanced project. We know what the resource looks like at Fort Katy due to the extensive drilling that's been done. A million pounds of boric acid have been produced off Fort Katy. Artificial culminite has been produced off Fort Katy. And so it is very much a development rather than a perspective project. The salt wells projects are exploration projects, and we'll have to come back into these and actually do the drilling. We don't know what the resource looks like or potentially looks like, so we will have to come in and drill out this deposit and find out, put together a JORC resource, and then we can begin to sort out what the true potential of the Salt Wells project is. This, of course, is right in line with the board's mission to advance the company's status as an exploration and development company, in addition to being a producer of boron and lithium, correct? Exactly so. This fits in very well within our stated scope, and certainly we think that this is going to be a very positive addition to our portfolio. We know that the salts that have been sampled contain over 810 parts per million in lithium, and there's over 1% boron, which equates to about 5.2% boric acid on this exploration project. So we're very excited about this project. 
Last time we visited, you were just getting underway with regard to your pilot plant at Fort Katy here in California. What's the status of that near the beginning of June 2018? So we're continuing to advance the pilot plant work. We're really encouraged with the results thus far. We've found a number of things. We have been able to connect the test well to some existing wells, which gives us the potential to use directional drilling in the future. Directional drilling will be able to, while those holes are more expensive, it reduces the overall number of holes. And in doing so, we think that there's a potential here to save some money within our capex. The other thing that is very interesting with the project, so we're also encouraged in that we have been heating brine and injecting it into the formation, and we're seeing that the formation holds this heat fairly well. We know through the solubility curves of boric acid as well as the work that has been done by previous owners on this, one of the things that they were always looking to do to increase production was to heat the brine because heated brine, much like when you heat hot water to dissolve sugar, the heated brine dissolves more boric acid or dissolves more colmonite and makes more boric acid. So we see this as also being a very positive thing for us. Mike, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. We'll speak with you again soon. Thank you so much for your time. I've been speaking with Mike Schlumberger, the CEO and Managing Director of American Borate and Lithium, trading on the ASX as ABR. Listen to this segment again on our website, ellismartreport.com, and find American Pacific Borate and Lithium at americanpacificborate.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Robert McAllister is the president of Intertopia Corporation, trading as TOP on the CSE and in the U.S. as ENRT. Intertopia is a development company which has engaged Genesis Water Technologies to adapt their technology to be able to produce battery-grade lithium carbonate from brines or the creation of a synthetic brine from the company's lithium project in Clayton Valley, Nevada in the United States. The Danlode and Steve Placer claims are located near Albemarle's Silver Peak Lithium Brine Mine. Intertopia has the technology licensing rights for the U.S., Argentina, Bolivia, and Chile. Robert, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Ellis. It's great to speak with you this morning. If you don't mind, give us an overview of your company. Sure. Intertopia was incorporated in 2008, and in the last two years, we've focused on lithium extraction technology in a way that we can hopefully process battery-grade lithium, whether it's from soft rock or brines. That's what we're focusing on today. Tell me about how water technology factors into all of this. That's a good question. We are using technology partner Genesis Water Technologies, and they came to us through a third-party consultant who recommended them. Water companies in the past have been very good at taking impurities out of the water and just leaving water, so we thought that approach would be our best first path at being able to take everything out of the water except lithium and then finally extract lithium as the end product. And that's what we've been working on now for about 18 months with Genesis. Let's talk about the environmental issues involving mining and evaporation ponds, etc. Clayton Valley can be somewhat problematic. How is your company dealing with all this? You're two for two on good questions. The evaporative ponds in Clayton Valley were built in the 60s and the Nevada is said that there will be no more evaporative ponds in new areas. So we realized that to be able to extract lithium in Nevada, we have to come up with a friendly process. And that's why we're using the water purification method. It's a very small footprint that covers acres as opposed to thousands of acres in brine ponds. And the extraction process time is in hours, not in months and years to come up with a finished product. So how does this factor into the economics? 
The economics, it's a smaller footprint. We're looking at capital costs that could be one-half to one-tenth of conventional brine projects. And how are you capitalized for the project going forward into the next year or two? Right now, what we're doing is we raise funds as needed. As we succeed each step, we go to the next process, look at our capital funding requirement, and we do it on a quarter-by-quarter basis right now. With all the companies now in the battery space, why should our audience consider taking a look at Entertopia? Oh, that's a good question. We're on a really good project in an area in the world that the rule of law is very well laid out with the Bureau of Land Management and the United States government. So we know what the payment fee schedules are like, what the reporting requirements are, what the permitting requirements are, which is basically unique to... United States and uh, North America, other parts of the world, the rules seem to be changing every six months to one year and not in favor of mining companies. How do we learn more about the company? I encourage people to go to our website, entertopia.com. And if they have any questions, they're more than welcome to contact me through my email or my uh, business phone number. Robert, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks so much for joining me on the program. Thank you, Alice. I appreciate the time. I've been speaking with Robert McAllister, the president of Entertopia Corporation, trading as TOP on the CSE and in the U.S. as ENRT. Learn more about the company by going to their website, entertopia.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. New Age Metals Incorporated is a mineral exploration company focused on the discovery, exploration, and development of Canada's largest primary platinum group metals PGM deposit, the River Valley PGM project, located in the Sudbury region of Northern Ontario. The company also has a lithium division with five lithium projects, of which three are drill ready. The company's philosophy is to be a project generator explorer with the objective of optioning or joint venturing their projects with major and junior mining companies through to production. Harry, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having us on again. Tell us why you're excited about your latest news release. I'm excited for a couple of reasons, Ellis. Just a couple of weeks ago, we told our shareholders in the fact that we did a 43101, that's a third-party company, a big engineering company, and it clearly shows that we have the largest undeveloped primary platinum group metal deposit of its kind in North America. Today's announcement is something I've been waiting for for a long part of my career. We are announcing that the board gave us approval management to go out and look to get a preliminary economic assessment done, a PEA. That's important because it's the project's first economic study. You're going to know, in my estimation, by the end of Q1 2019, exactly how economic this project is and what you'll need to go going forward. So there won't be that many questions. You're going to know exactly what you're going to need to do, correct? That's correct. Now, a preliminary economic assessment, we call it a PEA, it's going to evaluate the project at a very high level of engineering, and it's a financial study. Mineralization in the project will be integrated with pit shell designs and a mining schedule. The study will also incorporate some of the latest information by the exploration programs that we've been working on all winter, Ellis, and that's the metallurgical work, the geotechnical studies, and all these new geophysics that we're doing. Again, we're focusing on a small area of the project. It's 16 kilometers long. We're working on the top four or five. The 
reason we're working up there is you can drive a brand new car to the site. You're 100 kilometers away from one of the world's biggest metallurgical complexes uh, in Sudbury that can take all of our ore when we get it to the point. And the rest of what this study is going to do, it's going to build a mine plan. It's going to have a mine schedule. It'll have capital cost estimates. We'll be looking at turning it all into a financial model that will provide total cash flow and at the end of the day, a net present value and more importantly, an internal rate of return. This is the first time we've ever got the project to this point. It's a major, major study and just to remind your listeners, the PEA, the Preliminary Economic Assessment, has replaced the old name scoping study, but it adds a lot more to it. It changes a resource into reserves. And that's because they wrap all these different economics that I've just talked to you around this long and hard journey we've had to get to this first economic study. Essentially, it should make it bankable. Well, and that's a good question. And it's important that the listeners understand this is the first study. So that is the first economics they put on it after the scoping study, which we now call a preliminary economic assessment, is a pre-feasibility. After that, we do a feasibility study. Why is it important for a junior company to get to this point? Well, first of all, it's taken about $45 million and many years of work to get there. Number two, we're dealing with mostly palladium, platinum, metals that are extremely important in this world, and palladium is one of the best-performing metals in the last year or so. When I think about platinum and palladium and PGMs, catalytic converters, which still supports an oil-gasoline-based energy system for automobiles, contrary to a world that is converting to sustainable, renewable, clean-tech energy comes to mind. But then we see companies such as Ford and GM doing away with much of their passenger car division in lieu of big SUVs and trucks. And as the price of gasoline heads up to $5 a gallon in New York and here in California with no lack of demand at that price, I don't see an end to gasoline-powered vehicles, even as production of hybrids and EVs increase. So catalytic converters are here to stay as the lithium-ion battery demand grows as well. Exactly. I mean, in our company, we have two divisions and, you know, it's almost like Jekyll and Hyde. One is platinum group metals, which are the catalytic converters. And most people think that industry is just going to stop because they're building electric cars now. It's going to take 30 to 50 years for it to stop. I mean, countries just like recently, and that's because of the demand we have, is China just said, we don't want the pollution in Beijing that you can't even see in front of your hand anymore. And yeah, they're going to do a lot more electric cars, but they don't have the power to generate to do all this. So long story short, in every one of these countries, it's going to take 20 to 30 or 40 years before the electric car replaces the gasoline car. And most people in the industry's very well thought out analysts say it's never going to happen completely. So we have two different divisions. We have the lithium division and we have a very active year coming up in it. But we are underpinned, that whole lithium division is underpinned by one of the largest assets of its kind in North America. And we're very proud to be able to get this preliminary economic assessment off the ground. And the rest of the release we put out is that the management now has the right to go out and do that. In the next couple of weeks, we'll finalize. We have four different companies we're working with. We will finalize and pick the contractor, and it'll be an international engineering company that has tremendous experience in platinum group metals, and they will help us put together this economic study. Let's review your lithium division, which New Age has been quite active in during the past few weeks. Yeah, a lot more news coming out. I mean, 
The bottom line here is that what's exciting about this time of year in Canada is that spring has sprung and we're getting back in the field now. I mean, we've got most of our equipment already in Sudbury on the big platinum group metal deposit and the guys will be in the field. They're already out there checking everything and by next week we'll be in the field starting the work toward the preliminary economic assessment, which we've done a lot more. Eventually we'll be drilling there in the next couple of months. We'll be doing a lot of work around this big study. But just as importantly, we have a second division in this company. It's our lithium division. And we're going to have two or three field crews out there. I don't know if you followed it, but we just added two more properties. We had five. We now have seven. And we are the largest landholder in one of the most interesting pegmatite fields in Canada, where a mine has actually been producing since 1969 right beside us. And we owned the biggest block of ground in that whole province in Manitoba now. And those people are getting out in the field in the next couple of weeks, too. So lots of news on both fronts and both the Platinum Group Metals and the Lithium Division. Well, Harry, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks so much for joining me today on the program. Ellis, it's a real pleasure working with you, and thank you very much. I've been speaking with Harry Barr, the chairman and CEO of New Age Metals, trading as NAM on the TSX Venture Exchange and NMTLF in the U.S. For more information, go to the company's website, newagemetals.com. Remember, all of the companies you're hearing about today have paid us for the opportunity to be reviewed by you on this program. Do your own research before investing in anything mentioned here. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with Brent Cook of ExplorationInsights.com and Mickey Fulp of the TheMercenaryGeologist.com at the International Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia. Mickey, welcome to the program. Thanks a lot, Alice. Seems like we just did this last week. Yeah, we did on the phone, and you're much better looking in person. Oh, God, Alice, don't go there. And Brent, welcome. That's your first joke of the day? Yeah, hey, that's all you got? <laughs> Come on, Alice. I'm going to leave the jokes to you, handsome guys. It's the morning show. Come on. Morning drive show. Let's do a morning drive show. You've got to be clever here. Well, I'm staying at your favorite place, Trump Tower, not Brent's favorite place. Hey, can I make a big request of you, Trump Tower? Get me a Trump pen, because the cabbie in New York got off with my Trump pen. So. I'll uh, definitely get one for you, Mickey. So I do have an interesting story. I woke up at 2 a.m. to go to the restroom, which guys have to do occasionally, especially if they're old. And I was thinking while I was doing my thing, weren't there like two tower fires in Trump Towers during the last year and a half somewhere in the world? And the answer was yes. So, so I get back in bed and half an hour later, the alarm goes off. Oh my. Well, I know there was one in New York about six weeks ago. Killed somebody. It was a really loud alarm and it wouldn't shut down for about half an hour. I've already been through one high-rise tower in L.A. in the last five years, so two is entirely too much. Did you evacuate? <laughs> I did before I the alarm went off. <laughs> Not till you smell, no. smell smoke. Exactly. TMI, TMI. So gold this morning is below $1,300. Anybody predicting $1,000 here? No, no, I think we're in a range bound within 100 bucks of this. I agree, and I think we're even more range-bound. I've been spouting for the last couple of months. We're range-bound from 1300 to 1360, and we don't get to either of those tops or bottoms. I was quite surprised to see this morning, but here's the kicker. U.S. dollar was up four-tenths of a point today. Gold's down, what, 15 bucks overnight. All makes sense. Well, the dollar's kind of indestructible. I mean, it's been indestructible for as long as I've been alive. How does 
gold fair in a market where it's hard to touch the dollar? Well, you know, most of the deposits that are being mined are in foreign countries, and they make their money in that currency. So Australia, Canada, places like that, with the increasing U.S. dollar, the decreasing gold price doesn't really affect them. So that's actually a good place. It's a positive for those sorts of places and companies. And conversely, a negative for gold producers in the U.S. Although, face it, guys, we're talking about a $15 drop. One thing we've noticed over the last couple of years even is there's very little volatility in the gold market. Remember the days when Bernanke would get up and move the price of gold up or down a 50 or 100 bucks in an hour just on what he said about the Fed. Those days seem to be long gone. Well, stability is good, but we've had nothing really in the last year. I think gold's been pretty much at the same level. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. <laughs> nothing down there. <laughs> he's, got no, he's got nothing for you. So uh, one thing of note, though, is that gold is now negative year to date. It closed 2017, if memory serves, at 1298 or just below 1300. So that's interesting turnabout considering that a month ago we were pushing 1360. Last time I spoke to you, Mickey, which was about a week ago, you were bullish on the western U.S., southwestern U.S., and also uh, I think western Canada as well with regard to gold. You still feel that way a week later. What about you, Brent? I'm not really region-specific. I think you can go look for new gold deposits where the big ones are, the, the Andes, Mongolia, Western Australia, places like that. What I am really positive about is that with this stable flat gold price, the major mining companies are not adding a lot to their reserves. They're depleting much quicker than they're replenishing. And what that means to someone like Mickey and I is that if we can identify a project early on that has the tons and grade characteristic to be profitable at these prices, that's going to be worth a lot of money. That's where the premium is going to be. That's why you're seeing the major companies now putting money into companies like Midas, uh, Mirasol. You know, there's a bunch of companies. They're putting money into now because they recognize there's not much else out there. Well, I agree with Brent's take, and I will say one thing. I am not bullish on gold in Western Canada. I cover one company that has a project in Saskatchewan in the Prairie Provinces, but I am very bullish on the potential going forward in the Western U.S., because of companies like Barrick coming in and taking a big piece of Midas Gold, which I would argue is one of the best undeveloped gold deposits in the world at this stage. We also see Allegiant Gold spun out of Columbus Gold. We see Revival Gold picking up Barrick Track, the new Integra picking up Delamar, Fremont Gold picking up Gobar in north central Nevada. So these old past producing mines that went belly up at $250 gold in year 2000 are coming back and I find that very encouraging. And a lot of the reason I think is because of Trump's easing of regulations and bureaucracy. Uh, everybody thinks you can get this stuff permitted now. Are you investing in projects that are potential takeout candidates within the next two years, four years, so you're buying and holding right now? Both. The answer is yes. We've got a company that's got what looks like a discovery in Mexico, Everum. We bought that three years ago at 10 cents. It's now about a buck 20. This is a really interesting project. We have to see the third dimension, but that's a virgin discovery. We also own companies like, well, we used to own Midas. We've got Premier Gold, which is uh, producing in U.S., 
and has projects in Canada and Mexico as well. So we're across the board, early stage right through development and production, but mostly early stage grassroots discovery projects is what we're after now. We're looking at a new mining boom in the U.S.? Answer that any way you want, Mickey. Our audience can't see your hesitation before you decide which way you're going to answer this. Well, I don't know. You know, I am encouraged by easing of regulations and, and ease of permitting compared to eight years of an Obama administration. But a mining boom implies that we're going to have a plethora of projects that are successful. I think, once again, you've you got to be very selective and pick specific stocks. I really don't have a clear answer. I should have rephrased that to, to say, uh, can we see a grassroots boom in the U.S.? I don't see it. The problem with the Western U.S. is it's been explored since, you know, forever. And so most everything at surface has been found, tested, drilled. And so what most of these companies are doing now is just scraping little bits of the edges away from old mining pits and that. Or you're looking under deep cover, which is really difficult. So I don't see a mining boom in the U.S. I see it happening more so in places like Australia, Latin America, Nicaragua, Peru, Chile, those sorts of places. Even in, and certainly West Africa. That's where the mining boom is going to happen now. Are you getting on airplanes and going to those places, Brent? Somewhat. Fortunately, my partner, Joe Mazumdar, is going a lot more places than I am now. He just got back from Peru. For that, he was in uh, Mexico with me. He's going someplace probably twice a month to look at projects. So we're covering a lot of ground. Mickey, where are you headed the rest of this year? I'm going to Nevada. I'll go to Idaho, going to the Yukon likely go to Peru. I've been to Mexico lately. So my Ballywick's going to be, for the most part, the U.S., Mexico, Chile, Peru. I'm very averse to geopolitical risk. I wouldn't touch Mongolia with a 10-foot pole. And that's been my platform for 10 years. Uh, just because of resource nationalism, it just goes on and on and on. So I'm quite averse to geopolitical risk at this stage. Brent, how would you respond to that? No, I agree. Uh, Mongolia is not someplace I'm putting my money. Uh, but again, I, I look to places like Argentina and Chile with Mirasol we own. Peru again, not so keen on Ecuador. Don't know Bolivia. Colombia, not working. Nicaragua's great. Western U.S., Canada's all right. Australia's fantastic. Certain countries in West Africa, I think, are worth putting money into. Europe, Finland, Scandinavia is a great place. That's one of the best places in the world to be exploring right now. So there's, there's plenty of ground and places to look still. Now we're at a, uh, a mining conference in Vancouver. It's usually held once a year over here at the convention center. What types of questions do you gentlemen expect to be fielding during the next couple of days? Well, I'm giving a talk. When will gold break out, or will the price of gold break out? How, why, and when? And uh, I imagine I'm going to get lots of questions about that subject. My take is, and my, my presentation is going to get real technical. I think in this sort of market where it's flat and there's no real new money coming in, a retail investor, any investor, has to be really cautious, understand what a company's doing. So what I'm doing here in terms of companies is I need to see that the management understands what they're looking for, uh, understands what failure looks like early on, and has a clear plan as to how they're going to raise the money to increase the share price as they develop a project. And if they don't have those answers, it's not worth buying those companies. Any final thoughts, Mickey? It's good to be back in Vancouver. It's sunny. It was 25 degrees C. It's almost like July and August, uh, two months early. So, Mickey Fulp, the mercenary geologist, and Brent Cook, Exploration Insights, thank you so much for joining me today on the program. 
Thank you, Ellis. Yeah, thanks, Ellis. I've been speaking with Brent Cook of ExplorationInsights.com and Mickey Fulp of TheMercenaryGeologist.com at the International Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for a conversation with David Morgan of TheMorganReport.com at the International Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia. David, welcome back to the program. Ellis, it's been too long. It's great to be with you. Usually when the market's flat like this and people are pretty happy, and by happy I mean there's no radical changes right now, life is good, the economy's good in the U.S., people like me and maybe you, we're waiting for some kind of ball to drop. Do you see any ball that's waiting to come down the chute to fall on all of us, or can we expect some uh, ridiculously good times for another five to ten years? Well, to risk of sounding quaint, I think it's expect the unexpected. I mean, with Donald Trump being very unpredictable and the whole global economy being let's say, in a precarious position because of the debt loads and everyone that follows you know, my work and many in my genre know that what looks good on the surface may have a lot of rot underneath it. So, Ellis, I think there's a lot of things that could take place potentially over the next, let's say, six months to a year that actually will have a repercussion environment in the investing space. We were talking before this interview began about what we were going to talk about, the typical questions, where do you see gold going, what's happening with silver. I guess my question to you would be, what sort of questions should I be asking you, and how do we get away from the typical question and answers that we've all been discussing for the last 20 years? Where do we go for excitement? Yeah, great. Well, I'm going to default back to the one you don't want to ask, but everyone wants to know, and that is, is this gold market ever going to get going? And the answer is yes, it is. And and what's the catalyst going to be? And the answer is, I don't know for certain, but most likely it's going to be something in either the equity market or the bond market or both that happens. And you have to look at the facts. Facts are that China and Russia are both accumulating physical gold year after year after year and keeping their mouths shut. There's a reason for that. So I'll ask you, figure out why they are doing that and why the nation state of the U.S. of A. really doesn't give a hoot about gold, at least at the political level. And why is it that, you know, the Fed hasn't been audited? So there are a lot of questions there. The real, how can we take this conversation? conversation and make it exciting, make it lively. You know, it's when things are undervalued that you make the most money. You don't make money by selling, you make money by buying right. Now is the time to buy right. I have a fair amount of cash in my account. I've been telling my members to accumulate cash. I've accumulated a fair amount and I'm starting to buy some very undervalued situations right here, right now, today, at the first day of the Cambridge House event. And I'm happy to do so because I'm in for the long term. Now, let me just explain a little bit about the Morgan Reports. I do a hedge position. I teach people to take 10, maybe 20% at the maximum to hedge everything else they invest in. So I'm not a resources only person. I specialize in resources for a specific reason. You can make more money going into the ground and making a discovery than any other method known to man. I mean, if you drill for oil and you hit, you can be instantly wealthy. Same thing in the mineral space. Does it happen often? No, but it can happen. So that's what I focus my attention on. But again, that's balanced against 80% in what? Real estate, energy, your own business, bonds, whatever. I specialize in a very exciting sector and I'm happy to be there. Well, David, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for joining me today in the program. Alice, it's been too long. I want to be back on your show again. I've been speaking with David Morgan of TheMorganReport.com at the International Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia. I'm Ellis Martin. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Ben Whiting, Vice President of Exploration for Dolly Varden Silvercorp, trending as DV on the TSX Venture Exchange and DOLLF in the U.S. The company owns 100% of the Dolly Varden Mines Historic Silver property. The current favorable price of silver has renewed investor interest in this most historic of the silver mines in northwestern British Columbia. 
in Canada. The property is best considered an advanced exploration stage play with well understood targets and I am a shareholder of Dolly Varden Silver Corp. Today we join Mr. Whiting at the International Resource Investment Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Ben, welcome back to the program. It's good to be here, thank you. If you don't mind, uh, it's been a while since we've had a chat. Let's update our listeners as to what's going on with Dolly Varden Silver. What I really want to say is what's happening right today. Today is when the barge with all of our heavy equipment will be landing at high tide this afternoon at our base camp in Alice Arms. So it's very timely that we're getting together to discuss Dolly Varden. That is indeed exciting, but what are you doing here in Vancouver? Shouldn't you be there or supervising? I have some very good camp people there. They're setting up the base camp in Alice Arm and and I will be going up in a couple of weeks when the diamond drillers are there and more of the geologists have arrived on site and that's where my technical expertise lies. It's not setting up the camp itself. I have a very good camp manager who can take care of that. What can we expect to see this summer? The geologists and diamond drillers will be arriving in the last week of May. We're in the middle of May right now and they will start the exploration adjacent to the north side of the Torbert deposit. We made discoveries last summer. You may recall that Torbert North was one of the beautiful discoveries. It was a downdrop block away from Torbert, about 200 meters deeper than Torbert, and it was 21 meters thick, that's a big thickness, of 433 grams of silver. What we want to do is drill around and define the orientation and develop a tonnage and grade for the Torbert North deposit. That'll be the first target. So essentially the goal is to keep expanding the resource and updating the 43101. Yes, about 80% of this year's planned drilling will be on resource delineation on the new targets such as Torbert North, Torbert East and the Moose Lamb intersections, the discovery on the Moose Lamb Fault. That'll be for 80% of the drilling, but 20% will still be on exploration targets where we know there's silver, but there's no resource, there's no allocation of a historic drilling to define an ore body. And some of those are further to the north in the same trend. Dolly Varden's basically on a historic mining camp going back, I think, 100 years is it? Perhaps longer. But yet there's much more work to be done on the ground and more silver and potentially gold to find. You got that correct. It was the richest silver mine in the British Empire back in 1919 to 1921. Its production grade was 1.1 kilograms of silver per ton out of the Dolly Vard. Later on, there was a mine in the 1940s and 50s. That was the Torbert mine. And it was still a high-grade mine. It mined from 1949 to 1959. And its average grade was 500 grams of silver and lead and zinc credits as well. Are you going to have those lead and zinc credits, do you believe? They're not in the current resource, but we have been testing for base metals as well, and I would like to see those estimated to see how they can offset future operating costs with your lead and zinc credits and give you a lower cost per ounce of production on silver. You're going to call them if you obtain your objective silver equivalent. We would call it a silver equivalent, but the dominant element of value is silver. You have a managed team that's very, very successful. You yourself were instrumental in defining a, a resource with a company called Orco Silver about 10 years ago or so. This management team has a lot of success in their pocket and that's what we're bringing to the table with Dolly Varden. You've taken on this company, uh, I think, within the last year, year and a half or so. What's the plan, let's say, going forward two to three years? We took it over uh, about a year and a half, you're correct. And it was about 10 years ago was the turning point at La Preciosa Discovery 
in Mexico. When we realized that it was a lot bigger than the historic showings were indicating, there were some buried veins on La Preciosa that were blind, and that with our reinterpretation, we were able to take it from a zero position, starting position, to 285 million ounces of silver. So that was a great discovery for our team. Dolly Varden, I think at some point, will become a takeover target once again. There were attempts in the past. What I can view here is a potential to expand the resource that it will be within the framework of a producing mining company for adding it to add value to their operation. A company like Pan American Silver potentially, right? That would be one of them on the list, but we've got joint ventures with Pan American Silver now. We have them with Fresneo, we have them with Agnico Eagle. We've worked with Hecla in the past. We sold La Preciosa de Cour. So we don't know who the final mining company will be, but we will certainly keep you informed as the project evolves. Now, of course, it's really important in North America or really anywhere in the world to establish a firm solid, positive relationship with the local communities, and you've done that here, haven't you? We have. We've been meeting with the First Nation, referred to as the Nishka, the Nishka Le Sims government, and they are one of the only settled treaties in British Columbia. In the northwestern part of British Columbia, the provincial government has started a new regional mining alliance and it's where you have government representatives, representatives of First Nations, the Tultan and the Nishka, plus the junior mining companies that are exploring in that region, coming together and showing that business can be done in the Golden Triangle of British Columbia. Ben, it's always a pleasure to see you. We go way back. Thanks so much for joining us today in the program. Thank you very much. I've been speaking with Ben Whiting, Vice President of Exploration for Dolly Varden Silver Corp trading as DV on the TSX Venture Exchange and DOLLF in the U.S. Once again, I'm Ellis Martin, and I'm a shareholder of Dolly Varden Silver Corp., and the company is a paid sponsor of this program. Find Dolly Varden on our website, ellismartreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me for a conversation with Robert Mintak, CEO and Director of Standard Lithium, trading in the U.S. as STLHF, and on the TSX Venture Exchange as SLL. Standard Lithium is a near producer of lithium brine. Even though we've been covering the lithium and battery mineral space for quite some time, we're still at the beginning of a complete revolution, if not full transition, into a world dominated by electric vehicles. You may not have one now, but most likely you will someday. You've just heard opinion, commentary, and dissertation involving publicly traded companies seeking your potential investment. They paid us for the proof. Invest at your own risk and only after doing extensive research. Find our sponsors and listen to segments of this program again on our website, ellismartinreport.com.